Welcome to Surviving Society, a political podcast from a sociological perspective. I'm Saskia. I'm Chantal. Tiso. And today we're joined by Nassamir of the University of Edinburgh. Hi, nice to see you. Um, so, you're going to talk to us about racism in Scotland. Go. Yes, <laughs> so where do you want to start? So, this afternoon we're going to be talking about some data that we've generated, which tells a story about Scotland not being as exceptional as some people would like to believe. Mm. And that's data which is based upon quantitative analysis. It's where we've looked at um, the experiences of black and ethnic minorities in Scotland, compared it against the picture that it can paint based upon UK-wide data. And what it tells us is that about a third of black and ethnic minorities in Scotland in the last two years, so between 2000 and uh, 17 to 2019, and then in the last five years before that, says that they've experienced racial discrimination. And that's something which features across different sectors, in the education system, in the labour market, on the street, on the transport system, Mm. which is an increasingly unsafe space, it feels, and which varies for different groups. So about half of the people who self-defined of African Caribbean in Scotland um, says they've experienced racial discrimination. And that figure goes down to about 29% for people who self-define as mixed. Um, so there's a variability in terms of the kind of ethnic and racial group, but it's a problem, and it's a bigger problem than I think we can tell a story about using UK-wide data only. So when we actually ask black and ethnic minorities about their experiences, we actually get quite a harrowing picture. Don't you think it's really interesting, like, in this moment where we're England is sort of really being sort of positioned as this racist place, this hostile environment, but we're, it's almost like that focus has neglected Scotland, for example. And I, I said to you before we started, myself, I've even imagined Scotland as a tolerant place. <laughs> I don't know why, that, like, I don't have any really experiences here, but I sort of see it as, oh, mate, I think that'll be all right for black people there. <laughs> but the reality is, no, another one. <laughs> well, it, it depends on what the criteria is, because mm. I think the political rhetoric in Scotland is a lot better than it is in England. Yeah. You know, the leaders of the SNP talk in very progressive terms about national identity. It's about remaking nationhood. It's about being pro-migrant. It's about having a universal welfare system, which doesn't set one group against another. It's internationalist. It's outlook, outlooking. Can I just say we're at um, Glasgow Caledonia University for the BSA conference, and the slogan is like "Education for the Common Good" or like "University for the Common Good." And I was like, "Can you imagine seeing that on an English university?" Because no. like people don't pay fees to come here if they're Scottish or from the European Union. Yeah, like that's quite hard to get your head around. But it does also speak to a particular Scottish vision of education. You know, a Scottish approach is holistic and it's about more than just technical training. It's meant to be a vocational introduction into different spheres of society, which is meant to engender a kind of a citizen. I mean, this is a story that Scottish educators may have historically told about themselves that has a contemporary hangover. But I think Scotland, you know, in the rhetoric is better than England. I think that the way in which migration doesn't feature as a part of political uh, discourse in Scotland in the way in which it does in England is quite important because that spills over and draws upon all kinds of racial repertoires in England. Um, And you quickly get from talking about migrant, quote-unquote, to talking about black and ethnic minority, and there may be one of the same in particular circumstances, um, but migration is always weaponised in England, where I don't think it is in Scotland. Well, you see, I think the reason when when I moved here, the way I kind of visualise Scotland as another oppressed group same as the Irish and the Welsh, so you think they're, they're on the same side. So when you come here, you don't feel like you do in England, so you feel like they're an ally, 
well, when I learned when I moved here, you quickly learned the nuance in that. So I tended to find when people who were tend to be more kind of football based, like Protestants, so Hearts or, or Rangers, they will be more like English, and that they will have that racism in there. But the Catholic teams, who tend to be Irish based, would be more open and welcome. So that nuance is there, and it's it's weird. And it's not until you get into the kind of that kind of the culture of Scotland that you start seeing those kind of things. So how they kind of refer to like so when I moved up here, one of the big things was referring to a Chinese uh, restaurant as a chinky, and I said no one in England would say that, would ever say that, but they don't see that as problematic. That would be normal for them, mm. and it wasn't so much between black. It was more to do with. Asians, mm. Asian. They, that was a big thing for them. Asian. It wasn't so much the black people because they were, I guess, he, there wasn't that, that many, mm. but they saw the Asians as the threat. So it, it's, it was just a kind of the same but slightly different. Yeah. I mean, I think all kind of societies have their own ways in which race pans out and how it lends and how it makes sense. And I think the first part of what you're saying is very true insofar as there is this kind of self-promoted um, myth that Scots were historically oppressed, and especially by the English, whereas in fact the record tells us that the Scots were at the forefront of the British Empire. You know, there's a phrase that the English owned the empire, but the Scots ran it. Uh, and people like, um, people like um, uh, I forgot his name, a Scottish historian, will say that I think a one-third of the uh, East India Trading Company's civil servants were Scots relative to the size of the population at the time. You know, that's huge. So Scots were deeply invested in empire. The way in which that's come back home, you know, is, is, uh, is indirect, I suppose. And you're quite right to say that the kind of sectarian debate, Catholic, Protestant, has kind of maybe crowded out other ways of talking about race. But, you know, it's there. Um, the demographics are different in Scotland, of mm -hmm. course. Only about 4% uh, and self-defined as non-white, compared to about 14 to 15% in England. Mm -hmm. um, and the the characteristics of those non-white groups are different as well. You know, Pakistanis and Bangladeshis and Indians are the largest groups. Um, and there are more Chinese people in Scotland, mm -hmm. people who self-define as Chinese than would self-define as African-Caribbean. So the stereotypes land with different groups in different ways. But race matters here as much as it does anywhere else. Yeah, I was going to say, when walking through Glasgow, which was a slave city, yeah. like Chantal was pointing out, that we walked through India's, India's, Jamaica, Jamaica, Jamaica yeah. Street. Sorry. And I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah because this is... Yeah. Like a huge... The whole merchant quarter of this city is based upon tobacco and sugar, much as the merchant quarters of Liverpool and Bristol were. Um, the difference is that Bristol, especially Liverpool, have made some kind of um, peace with that, or certainly they've, they've certainly recognised that they had a role in it. I think Glasgow is yet to do that in any meaningful sense. What about Edinburgh, where you are? Edinburgh had a different relationship to Empire, to Glasgow. It wasn't a port, well, it's a port city, but we weren't part of the triangle in that respect. What we were deeply invested in was um, the kind of the intellectual rationales for Empire, you know, the, the wow. science of Empire. David the, Hume and yeah. well, David Hume was over here. Oh, sorry, was David, he? David Hume was, uh, yeah, actually, sorry. I was going to say, is Adam, there a big Adam, statue of him? Yeah. Adam <laughs> Smith was over here. There's a big statue of Adam Smith too, but he was mm. definitely in Glasgow. Um, so, yeah, so Edinburgh had a different relationship to Empire to Glasgow. In a way, it was kind of a bit more discreet, but no less, um, no less impactful or powerful or whatever I'm really interested like if you listen to the podcast you'll hear you'll have heard me rant about this before but I really feel like racism on public transport is an understudied mm. phenomena within sociology and it'd be 
is that the, I know you did quants, mm. but is there anything pati- in yeah. particular about the racism that people recalled um, yeah. by public transport that you could Very mention? from name calling to um, kind of heightened abuse to physical attack. Um, I mean, there's something about the ways in which enclosed spaces are a kind of a micro community of white supremacy at the moment. Yes. And oh my God, that is feel, such a great line. That and those is spaces such a are, great... Are, what's that again? Um, people feel empowered to kind of exercise their, their kind the of micro... enclosed space of the micro society of white supremacy. Yeah. You know, people feel that is what it is. legitimized <laughs> and they've got parameters around which they can do this. I mean, it's another form of violence, mm. but, you know. What is really important about what you just said, I think, is that they exert their white supremacy through racism, but then the white supremacy also plays out through silence as yeah. well. So the other white people yeah. who just look away. Yeah. So that's obviously how white supremacy is enacted in wider society yeah. as well. That's, yeah. wow, amazing. Yeah, entitle- <laughs> entitlement and silence. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, I mean, I suppose, so what I would say is that, so there's things about Scotland which are probably worse than UK-wide data leads us to believe. However, there are things that are good about Scotland in terms of the contemporary political rhetoric. How much of that reflects something deeper and how much of that is a matter of contingency is open for debate? If Scotland got responsibility for migration controls tomorrow, if it got responsibility for setting race equality agendas tomorrow, would it do things differently to England? I don't know. Because I think conditions can change very quickly. I think that political parties can mobilise on those questions. I think those issues can be exploited. Um, so there are reasons to be optimistic, but also reasons to be cautious and indeed pessimistic. What's the influence of like Scotland traditionally seeing itself as more aligned with Europe in terms of like you're saying, like with migration policies and stuff? Scotland taking control of migration policies. I don't know. I think it's quite easy to see Scotland as an independent country being quite an enthusiastic supporter of Fortress Europe in terms of uh, wanting to be part of the status quo of Europe? There is one vision of Scotland which makes it not dissimilar to the Nordic countries. Um, you know, we're s- relatively small in terms of population size, kind of historically rich in natural resources, so they may be dwindling, uh, allows us to be more progressive in a number of respects. However, the, the way in which the vote to remain in Scotland, which was overwhelmingly you know, a remain turnout, can be misinterpreted as being pro-European. Yeah. I, I think the, rem- the vote to remain in Scotland was a vote against, in many respects, under the uncertainty of um, exiting a union. You know, we've already voted to remain in the United Kingdom. Uh, and that was no less motivated by the uncertainty rather than some kind of rabid unionism. Um, so there's something about Scotland being a small country that's a little bit uncertain about doing things alone. Um, however, the spin that people like the SNP will, will offer on that is that there's every reason to be optimistic that Scotland could mirror the success of Norway, Denmark, Sweden, uh, and have a Nordic future, if only we could uncouple ourselves from the colonial yoke of Western. When I, when I think that, like, like I said, I think Scotland... Sometimes it, it looks like it's passed a lot. So the kind of experience of the Darien affair, it's been a lot of money and it fails. What's this? So it, the, the kind of Scottish attempt at kind of colonisation in America, spend a lot of money, it fails. Then there's the kind of, the, the guy who's the, the Scottish guy goes back to England, sets up the Bank of England. And then, and so you end up in this person unit, kind of in debt, you end up stuck together again. Scotland kind of, it, it lacks that kind of confidence that that country needs to do things. Like, and then England has that confidence. And so arrogance. Well, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I, 
like I said, I'm very I'm optimistic about Scotland. So when I lived here, I've had, had a good experience, but it just needs I don't know. It's like it has all that potential, and that, that it's not mired in that past that England had. I, th I think Scots, the Scottish political actors would like to uncouple themselves yeah. from that colonial history. And it's very hard to make a secessionist case and a, certainly a, a kind of progressive future-oriented one if you're, if you're anchored to a story of British imperialism, mm. right? So there's kind of a, a strategic move in that. I think the Darien Affair is fascinating because mm. it was an attempt by the Scots to set up their own colony in what's now Panama mm. to break through the uh, English stranglehold on on other markets and the its failure was mm. what brought the Scotland into the Union and mm. then gave Scotland access to all the imperial markets that England had, especially India. Um, I think that does have some bearing on contemporary Scottish society and how Scot Scottish people imagine themselves, but I think that imperial and colonial history is forgotten, as it is in England, you know. Yeah, and I, I think, think both Scotland and England suffer from not just amnesia, but I think something in the Orwellian tradition of actively erasing this past. They haven't forgotten it. But it's a memory hole in the Orwellian tradition. But this is what I'm finding. So we, they haven't forgotten it, but it's, been, it's, it's almost been rewritten. So if you go to the far-right discourse, these things are spoken about but in a different context, in a different way. So they, they spin it in a way that this is your heritage that they're trying to make you forget. This is what makes us great, what makes us distinct, what makes us British, English, or whatever it will be. And I think, I think now more than ever, it, scholars like us need to kind of revisit these things and make people to know the true story because there's no balance at the moment. And that's what I'm finding. So I find people trying to rehabilitate like Nazis, for example. Mm. And... This is what's happening like, with Tommy Robertson coming to Scotland and he's trying to co-opt sectarianism and that divide there and try to make it something different than what it is. And like I said, the Scottish people are good about their history compared to the English, from my experience. So when they talk about the Battle of the Boyne or wherever it will be, they have a better understanding than the English people of, of I think the English people, 1945, and they get stuck. It's not accidental that Tommy Robertson, EDL mm -hmm. and so on have struggled to get a proper foothold in Scotland. Uh, I think every time the SDL has tried to mobilise, you know, they've been caught into half the street and, and not much has come of it. Um, I, th I think that the particular sense that something has been taken away from English people by, by migrants and black and ethnic minorities um, doesn't resonate as strongly in Scotland. I don't think Scots feel they've been robbed by black and ethnic minorities or migrants who in England have become a sign of maybe historical imperial decline to them. Uh, I don't think that's the case in Scotland because we blame the English, <laughs> rightly or wrongly. Um, so in a way, that kind of historical myth or truth uh, it kind of is a, is a barrier to the kind of over-racialisation of minorities that you find in England. Thank you so much. That was brilliant. You've been listening to Surviving Society at the BSA. We'll be back with lots of podcasts this week, so stay tuned.